Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy. I'm Hannah Bestwick and I'm here as always with Daisy Thurston Gent. Hey Daisy, how are you doing? What have you been up to recently? Hey Hannah, uh, feeling good, doing good. Um, buying yeah. buying books. Um, nice, obviously I, you. I bought some butter knives today. Um, <laughs> the very essential thing in the British summer yeah, to have things some are butter op- knives. Things are opening up and uh, that means yeah, car boots and charity shops. So yes. treasure troves of whatever people have been getting rid of. From their houses. Exciting times. People are like, why do I own this? And then I'm like, I need to own this. <laughs> so, you know, a perfect match, you yeah. might say. Yeah, and the summer's been uh, the sun has been out and it's been much nicer. So I've just been feeling I've been feeling a lot more chipper. Yeah. So that's quite good fun. Sometimes it does feel a bit like I'm just on a sunny day, it feels like I'm just what I imagine doing a line of cocaine is like because I'm just like, I've gotta just do things, I've the, gotta be outside and I'm so sun. excited and oh my god, I'm gonna make things and then this is so great, everything's so great. I actually don't know if that's what cocaine is like, but I imagine that there's a lot of energy involved. That's how work gets done in central London, I'm assuming. Yeah, right? <laughs> the sun is out and they're all on coke. Anyway. Sunshine, the cocaine for uh, rural queers. The cocaine for people with SAD. Oh, yeah. Seasonal affective disorder. Anyway, talking of uh, summer, I suppose, that leads me quite nicely on to my topic for this week, oh, Daisy, so Thurston, Jed. And that brings us to something that I have no experience of. Okay, which is oh. summer camp. Okay, so yes. I'm going to be talk about queer summer camps, <gasps> specifically queer summer camps. Yes. Like I said, I've never experienced summer camp at all, let alone a queer summer camp. And it doesn't really happen that much in the UK or even in Europe, really, yeah. from what I can see. It feels like a North American thing, US and Canada. And like, to be honest, part of that is probably because... The US's main export is media, and so yeah. we're all watching TV shows, and yep. they talk about summer camp and kids going to camp and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Though, in my research, I didn't actually find that many camps for the UK or Europe, so mm. what I will be talking about is mostly about the, the US and Canada. Um, the way it's sort of set up in movies is that it's quite traditional for kids to go to Yeah, because in America, it has one of the longest summer breaks in the world that I'm aware of. It's almost like three months, I think. Oh, nice. In, in the UK, we only have six weeks, and in other countries, it's even shorter. And so, you know, what are you going to do with your kids for three months with no school? And so, you know, that is, it is just a really traditional thing. You can send your kids away to camp. For a week mm. or two weeks and just have a like have a break have from a break. goddamn kids also you're probably still working like. yeah right if you're parents you know you're going to be working you've got to earn money somehow but you know with queer kids often and even today are subject to um just ab- abuse harassment and exclusion in the day-to-day life that's at school home you know from the media you consume it can it can feel like abuse because you're often getting torrents of other people's um opinions about trans people about gay people about marriage about hate crimes that go on around the world you know even the friends that we have as queer kids may say very hurtful things because kids say hurtful things in general because of their weird empathy thing (laughs) yeah yeah they're also misinformed and also if you don't actively seek out queer friends as a young person most of your friends will be cis or straight right and that is they they will be more likely to be misinformed and also just not like you in a certain way yeah so there's just there's something to this isolation i think and there's a kind of loneliness in being queer and feeling alone and it's almost like integral to the queer experience you know even for those who've had incredibly loving and accepting families you don't live in nobody lives in a vacuum and so there's only so much you can do to shelter a kid from the world around like the world is the way it is and like a shit and we're trying to change things but they're going to be affected in, in some way yeah by the attitudes around the world this leaves us often missing out on things in our youth 
you know, missing out on quintessential childhood experiences, even just as simple as like not knowing how to connect with how to make friends, how to talk about crushes, you mm. know, being able to go swimming without feeling shame or like confusion or like hiking. And so summer camps are for a lot of people a quintessential childhood experience for them and they're often traditionally set up you know you have boys um, cabins girls cabins all the activities are divided by gender and well by sex so even you might even have like solely single sex camps Mm. let alone like a mixed camp with separate bunks and that all kind of leads to this really exclusionary environment for anybody that doesn't necessarily fit into those very strict and rigid boxes and if we learn anything it's that dividing people into those two boxes doesn't doesn't do anything justice doesn't do anybody justice at all denies so much in the middle exactly so much in the middle and it's not just you know it's not just people who identify as queer that are somewhere in the middle you Mm -hmm. know there's lots of cis and straight people out there who actually if you look at their presentation doesn't fit the exact standard norm and like where do they those people fit you know uh, like i said i have amazing news there are actually lots and lots of specifically queer summer camps for kids there's also lots of camps that are not exclusively for lgbt kids but which are saying, you know, we have trained our um, camp counsellors in more inclusive techniques and who are doing things like no longer separating the bunks and dorms by gender or sex, but by age instead, which I think is actually really a really good way to do it. The kids can choose if they want to be in like an all-female or Mm -hmm. all-male bunk uh, as well, if they like. So Mm. I've got a really fucking sweet list of camps okay now like i said there's loads and loads out there so i've just actually chosen a few um trying to not get too many for the same age group or with the same kind of aims obviously very sadly most of them didn't go ahead last year Mm. and may not go ahead this year but you know it's useful to know the names for when they do open up again are you ready you're so ready Number one, Camp Brave Trails, which is for kids aged 12 to 18 in California and Maryland. Uh, It's the largest residential summer camp for LGBTQ plus youth. And they connect with support. uh, The kids will connect with supportive adult mentors um, who are also LGBTQ plus. They make lifelong friends, have the time of their lives. These are mostly most of the descriptions I've taken from like uh, websites websites. and things. And so they're very pro them. I I promise you're not getting sponsored by anybody, but uh, it will sound like. That's so cool though. Like we should definitely endorse it. Like Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to endorse it. Because if you don't have a space for that anyway why not have like an adventure space for that yeah yeah so this one um leadership it's a leadership focused camp with loads of quintessential camp activities like archery theater hiking drag classes arts and crafts campfires and identity groups game nights uh, and other evening activities it's really sweet and all the cabins and bathrooms are genderless there's camp aronutik in new hampshire people uh, aged 8 to 18 and it's specifically for transgender and gender variant youth mm-hmm. um, and offers an opportunity to build confidence resilience and community and emphasize kids just being kids yeah. at the traditional camp so there's actually no specific formal conversations about gender or sexuality here it's just you go swimming kayaking arts and crafts but yeah. you're just also in this really inclusive lovely space slightly younger group of 8 to 15 camp highlight in pennsylvania is a week-long camp for kids who have an lgbt parent but though they welcome all youth to attend if they want to but what this does is allow kids of all orientations or genders to connect and create a community where their lgbtq families are Mm. celebrated and emphasized and it's really community focused that's so cool that's so so sweet so sweet uh camp tentries washington 8 to 17 
Fun fact, they were one of the first camps for LGBTQ youth. And, you know, you can play in lakes, share values, sing songs around a campfire. (laughs) Social justice oriented, this one. And so along with all the traditional hiking, whatever, there's also age appropriate workshops on identity, oppression, social justice and activism, which is super fucking cool. That's really cool. And that one you can go as a family or just send the kids. That's quite fun. Goodbye, kids. Learning camps. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Camp Firefly in Alberta for a slightly older age range. Um, 14 to 24. It's a Canada's national leadership retreat for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, two-spirit, asexual, intersex, queer, questioning and allied youth. And it's a space to to explore identity, build resilience, enhance self-esteem and all while doing the normal camp things. Yeah. Swimming and resilience. Swimming and resilience. Resilient swimming, let's say. <laughs> um, camp outdoors. Emphasis on the out um, is 11 to 24. And it's a colourful camp, apparently. Uh, this colourful camp takes LGBTQ youth out of the closet and into the woods, which is lovely. Brilliant. Four days of fun. And the camp, wel- camp welcomes campers all over the world. Camp uh, campers. C- wait. <laughs> the camp welcomes campers. Okay, there we go. From all over. But they specifically focus on Arizona youth, giving them an opportunity to build community where they live. That's so cool yeah camp light bulb uh 14 to 18 so the higher end of the teenager bracket it celebrates lgbtq plus youth uh with magical summer camp experiences with fun pride community friends support self-discovery and memories to last a lifetime daisy hang out with new friends and frolic through the world renowned lgbt haven provincetown massachusetts that sounds so great if i could just build a time machine and go back oh, I would. imagine so Best this is an urban camp so rather than being in the woods, oh, cool. I thought this was interesting. So you you stay in a, a hostel in the town just near, next to the beach and they have like, you can go whale watching, have bonfires and um, and do self-discovery workshops. And they even do like little trips into town, like, I don't know, shopping, going to get burgers ice or cream. Uh, ice cream. I was going to say milkshakes because that's apparently an American thing, <laughs> which I, I just think that's really nice because like, yeah. Some kids just want to like go into town and hang out. Yeah, be a normal person. Exactly. Going for burgers. Camp Lilac, uh, Ohio, twelve to seventeen. It provides a safe, welcoming space for transgender youth, specifically for them to be themselves in a positive, supportive, youth youth focused environment. Trans youth often often face a very stressful and unwelcoming, hostile environment in their day to day lives, and so we they've been creating a safe, welcoming, confidential space in which gender diversity is the norm. And that sounds yeah. so important, so valuable. Two more from the from North America, and then I've got some from the UK. Camp Epanui. How would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, let's Epanui. say. It's got an accent on the E and then a load of vowels at the end. <laughs> uh, in Pasadena, California, 10 to 12. So that's quite a narrow age bracket, quite young. And that's a day camp, so you only go in the morning. And that's specifically for trans-feminine youth. And it's five days of those mornings, and you connect with others who have a similar gender journey to you and have a ton of fun playing indoors and outdoor days, get uh, games, making art, engaging in team building, and just and get, focusing on increasing resilience. And it's just so cute with lots of body positivity and puberty awareness oh, for these cool. young kids. And I'm just like, that's so great, it's so great. Really showing up the 90s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? And then there's Camp Unicorn, again, in Pasadena. So Nope, Pasadena. Uh, six till ten, which is... Babies Baby uh, is a summer day camp from one to four for trans and gender non-conforming kids to connect, create and empower. Join others on a similar gender journey for arts, crafts, games and unicorn magic. Includes a unicorn pop bake-off, oh face painting and water balloons and a magic show. Oh my God. <laughs> so Say great. Say no more. 
we do have some things in the UK. Oh, cool. So Good. Gendered Intelligence does a like a, a camping trip for a week, uh, for a, I think it's three days, sorry, for people um, in two age brackets. They've got 11 to 17 and 16 to 26. And I was like, what? And that's because people who are 16 to 17, they asked, do you want to be considered in the older group or the younger group? And they got like half and half responses. So mm. they've made it overlap so that you can decide, you know, I want to be with younger kids or I want to be with people older than me, mm. depending on where you are in your journey. Nice. Gendered Intelligence is a trans-led and trans-involving grassroots organisation that works to increase the understanding of gender diversity and improves improve the lives of trans people. And the camping trip with Tui Air, on the camp they do a range of activities and games to get involved with. There's art, journaling, exploring nature, um, sharing around campfires, cooking and eating as a community and living in a trans-only space for three wonderful days. Wow. There's also the Mosaic LGBT plus Young Persons Camp, which is a summer camp experience like no other, apparently. 25 young people from the UK spend a week together in a residential centre in Wales. Wow, um, I mean, that's, that's you know, 25 people, that's really, like, closed. It's a really small group, really, isn't it? Really, really. Um, because these, um, like, the American camps, I, I always imagine being, like, hundreds I of kids. I just imagine, like, the Adams family. Yes, 25 but 25 people, people so it's, yeah. it's very intimate. And you go to Wales, take part in workshops, uh, cook together, making friends and exchanging experiences. So it must be really, like, you must make some really intense friendships on mm. that trip. Um, and it's the UK's only camp that caters to young, lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans populations unique as a campus it's not focused typically on outdoor pursuits like rock climbing abseiling but instead focuses on an lgbt curriculum mm. learning through fun and non-competitive activities that's cool yeah so that is fucking cool learning through fun is like what we do yeah this is fun and i'm learning, I'm learning. so much and just that it that sounds so great and i can't like i can't imagine the difference it might have made to like me or or a bunch of my friends to just have had other kids in your life that even just having met them once would make Mm. a difference because you're like I know that there's people out there like me yeah 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 right even if it was just a club or whatever like just something yeah and I know that it like definitely things are getting a lot better and there's youth groups in like uh like London I was Mm. looking at doing some volunteering around London there's youth groups and you can do youth mentorships with LGBT kids and Mm. to be honest I don't I just don't think that kind of thing was considered where I was and because a lot of us grew up without all of that I think that's left us as kind of quite a lot of people as queer adults having found acceptance and love and chosen family and all of that now feeling like we missed out on some stuff right and and yeah now feeling too old to enjoy some of the things that we would have enjoyed as kids or been allowed to do as kids but not really it not really being acceptable now as adults mm, there's that kind of peter pan syndrome is it i mean like not wanting to grow up or not feeling that you had enough of oh, a youth yeah, or so enough of a true youth that's yeah. it yeah yeah yeah. not enough of a childhood and like not really doing with it childish things because you, yeah you know and restricted or felt shame some yeah shame yeah exactly and like my dad once gave me a a card that says it's never too late to have a happy childhood and at the time I was like oh that's pretty bleak because it's just like yeah you had a shit time and I was like yep so, we're, we're sorry card. um yeah but actually from where I am now I sort of it's a it's more of like a free pass Mm. to kind of be like no I, I want to enjoy doing stupid things that are childish I want to just make mistakes and that be okay and I think that actually yeah it, it does feel like it's not too late I just have to do it with my old rickety body instead of <laughs> yeah the one that be a bit more up. careful yeah exactly I've just gotta wear the safety gear so I also have some good news for us oldies out there yes there are some camps specifically for adults for LGBT 
people, adults who want to go to camp and have a camp experience. Kid adulthood, but queer. Exactly. Adulthood, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Quilt yeah. No. Uh, anyway, um, so there's A Camp, which is primarily organised by Autostraddle, and that's for 18 plus, and that's in California. It's a unique, dynamic, immersive, ever-evolving, home-away-from-home queer adult camp. It's got like conferences, camp campfires, diverse panels, discussions, workshops, comedy, musicians. Hmm. Arts and crafts, dance parties, serious bonding. I don't know if that you can't really put that on the schedule, can you? Um, serious. Now here is your serious bonding time. <laughs> you go, go bond. Uh, yeah, it offers serious bonding and a soothing refuge from the heteropatriarchy. It, yeah, it says. Sign me up. Be a kid again. Compete against the ca- other cabins in the rainbow wars or play recess games. Sit down for a one-to-one with a career mentor. Discover your crafty side. Learn to chair dance. Become a whiskey expert. Laugh, laugh your ass off at improv. Meet up with other introverts. That's not what introverts do. We just sit on our own. <laughs> Meet up with other introverts. <laughs> All the introverts in the room going, oh, no, 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 no. no, no. Um, write something. That one was in italics. Um, and then there's, you know, uh, gender panels. Uh, what makes a queer family like quizzes? Um, swagger 101. <gasps> making a zine. Or you can just go off into the woods and read for a day if you want, or go hiking because it's in the mountain. California's got some good mountains and things. Mm. And you can even like wake up for yoga or spoon till noon, and then let a a DJ save your life at Club Deer or watch the stars. Sounds. I want to do all those things. Yeah, I want to go and do that. Swag 101. Can you imagine just workshops like that? Yeah, I'm kind of like imagining is because swag is feeling right it's, it's like it's a, a, it's like a whole life, thing yeah. you can't just be like just walk like this you just gotta really you gotta embody it yeah it's too too much confidence is swag anyway but not cocky love it. with it yes and then there's camp camp <laughs> uh yeah but it's so if you'd search camp camp there's just mm-hmm. a tv show that's called camp camp but it's for kids but this is camping quotation marks yeah. camp and there's a camp camp uh, summer camp is is Do does you learn come how up. To be camp? It's a premier summer camp for LGBT adults and has a distinctive vacation for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender community. It's just like a sleepaway camp when you uh, that you would remember from when you were younger. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't because I'm not there, but um, it offers a full program of great outdoors, athletic, arts and crafts activities, social events. It's in Southwest Maine. Which is, well, Maine is where all of Stephen King's stories take place, basically. So it's <laughs> very haunted. Um, and Camp Camp is the perfect alternative ba- vacation for the adventurous members of the LGBT community looking for a unique vacation Sounds option so beyond the usual day- gay cruise. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to go on to get a gay cruise because I hate the water. I so, don't want to be trapped at the sea. Yeah, you can't I just get out. Don't wanna, You're yeah. just there. You're just like in a Tupperware on the, on the ocean. I don't want to do that. No. I don't no. want to do that. Like, there's no appeal. I'm fine with the land. Yeah, let's go to camp though. A week at camp camp includes all activities, meals and accommodation, plus all the new friends you can handle. (laughs) So I don't know why I'm reading it like that. But as a run, you go mountain biking, do pottery, hiking in general, uh, lake swimming, (laughs) sailing, stained glass making, canoeing, softball, very gay, and also has, uh, it's geared towards, geared towards specifically the more flamboyant members. I put flamboyant in there. Uh, They have broad dance uh, and figure drawing also lgbt history and um yeah it just sounds really wow. really great and the final one i've got to tell you about is camp lost boys which if we, i thought if we yes. got lost though on on that in that camp like we just wouldn't know where to find each other because all of those activities sound great yeah like is daisy like, in the queer history lesson or is you know, is she, she making a pot 
Is she staining some is glass? She, is she staining glass? Is she in the lake? Who is she knows? debating? I don't know. Because, I wouldn't yeah, sleep. There's no instinctive thing to be like, oh, Daisy will obviously be there because that's the only thing that she'd want to be doing because you want to be doing all of the things. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we would get, so get lost. I thought you were going to say, if we got lost, how will we find each other because everyone will look really gay. Well, yeah. We won't just be like, where's the short-haired lady? Yeah. They're all Which is how you ladies. find people in like normal... Uh, social interactions I'm just like where's my oh there we go there are my gates we could just um, use some kind of British calling card and be like would you like a cup of tea and the only person who says yes will be the British the other British person there (laughs) yeah finally it's Camp Lost Boys which I thought I thought this one was really lovely again it's for 18 plus people it's a sleepaway camp devoted to men of trans experience hosting anyone who identifies as the masculine of centre to focus on self-empowerment self-esteem building through physical and mental activities and, and a traditional summer camp experience it's got hiking morning meditation boot camp workouts um also assistance in financial planning film screenings fireside chats um and it's with uh, fireside chats with specific focuses as well and includes including one that is specifically for trans men of color so they have a specific emphasis in camp lost boys for men of color which i thought was really it's really good because we've got ones for like more very Yeah, exactly. We've got quite a lot of camps specifically, like, for generally the queer population. But I think having the specific experience ones, like the trans feminine and trans masculine ones that we had. Yeah, yeah. a really, really safe space for everyone. I think those are really important. But yeah, I thought that. Those sound amazing. They sound so fucking good. So amazing. Yeah. And so I think I think I want to go to a camp. I think that's the one I want to go to because there's a podcast called Nancy Podcast. Okay. And the female host goes to a camp in it and she records her experience and it sounds really sweet. It's a, she's like a bit awkward at the beginning, a bit uncomfortable. And then she's like, we just all turned into teenagers and they were like passing notes and things to yes. each other being like, my mate has a crush on you. And it's just like so cute. It is a like more than a grand to go. But For how many days? Should we look? Hang on. If it's going to be the best experience of my life, then that's then, just yeah, that's good, good. real good so, luxury holiday. And that's just a campsite. <laughs> <laughs> Where five nights five lodging, nights. three meals a day, closely work with the chef to design vegetarian, vegan and gluten-free menus. This is definitely a queer camp. Yeah. Um, full access to a variety of stuff. A kick-ass tote, tote bag, jam-packed with gifts. And a camp t-shirt. <sighs> look, you get the... Look, Stop for, it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sold. All those activities... All that like opportunity for connection, like building community that you may not have had. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to be like jealous of queer youth growing up having a great time. I want to have my own yeah. experiences. Like denied those anymore. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're not denied them anymore. And it is. I do really rate having similar experiences available for adults because mm. it's not like yeah, it is a queer experience, but it's also not just queer people that lose out on their childhood like loads of people do for all sorts of like sad and miserable reasons and i think that we should be allowed to re-engage with our youth Mm. and do these fun things yeah space for fun yeah it looks like 750 with like an extra hundred down payment yeah I mean, like, that's pretty good. For all we'll those get, activities. Yeah, and get a flight to California, probably yeah. to New York, then to Cali. So <gasps> I think that's how that works, because they're both us. They're like, isn't California, like, as far away from New York as New York is from London or something stupid like that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, I think that would be a really excellent Great experience. Great time, yeah. And I, w- I think, actually, I would probably happily spend that... And I just want to lie down in California and be like, wow, isn't this nice? Yeah, under the stars. Like, oh, sounds great. Anyway, yeah. So I would summer so times. totally go. The end. The end. That was amazing. Uh, that sounds so, so 
like desirable and ex- you know made me all excited in my belly and yeah like yeah excitement like a kid yeah like, yeah I think it was really fun I'm and I kind of do wish there was more stuff like that in the UK because like I think people would do it yeah I think people would do it especially if it's in like a one week camp five days or mm. five nights or whatever I think we'd get quite a lot of uptake especially if mm. it was in the summer when the weather's going to be good and things like that. it's basically a, a festival yeah 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 but with more like group activities yeah it's exactly. a lot more like focused on well that's kind of connection what I do at festivals anyway is I don't really go and listen to any of the music because uh, the crowds are really intense so I just spend a lot of time in the craft tents yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like this is great and everyone's like are you going to go see How the headline I'm like huh what who's what? there listening to the guy who's telling stories to all the kids like wow <laughs> he lives in the woods amazing oh, maybe we can have a radio zaddy camp week yeah because i understand why they would have to um prioritize like you know fund these charities funding um you know lgbt youth like i think that is super important but to give space to queer adults who may have not had an opportunity like those opportunities is a it's really so, interesting yeah, space so to take important. up as a charity think, yeah and it can be actually quite healing mm. to be like to just get to do the things that you because there's there's harm in in having regrets you can spend a lot of time just thinking i should have done that i should have done that mm-hmm. and then being given the opportunity to get rid of that regret yeah. that sadness is amazing and it is very healing anyway daisy anyway uh right what am i talking about this week so in every episode, uh, I, I bang on about having like more queer uh, historical role models. Yes. Um, so this week, I just wanted to take it all the way back. Okay. To Jesus. Ancient. Whoa. Egypt. <gasps> yes. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Which, as it turns out, is a pretty, pretty gay place. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't yeah, know yeah, how much yeah. you know about uh, queerness um, in ancient only Egypt. Only a little bit. Umpa. I was like, oh, who's Umpa? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so, so I'm going to start off by telling you about um, Nung Nam and uh, Nung Hintep, mm-hmm. uh, who were a pair of uh, manicurists uh, who served the pharaoh Nusa in approximately like 2380 BC. Amazing. Yeah, so yeah, manicurists, yeah. Uh, super camp. I just imagine them as super camp manicurists. They probably were like... Just like sassy, but in Egyptian. Yeah, yeah. like, and who's to say like what they were like? Anyway, so Nak Nam and Nung Hintep, I'm going to butcher these names, it's terrible, uh, pretty much always make like the list of, you know, queer icons in history. Anything that predates Stonewall, basically. Yeah. There's this weird assumption that history begins at, at Stonewall, Stonewall and it's yeah. like, no, no, no. no, no, no sir. Um, so yeah, we know that modern queer history is like fairly plentiful, uh, but finding a couple of hairdressers, you know, in the same ancient tomb feels pretty revolutionary. Men, women? So, um, men? Two men. Two men. Uh, so these two fellas uh, were known to serve uh, during the fifth dynasty. Wow. Uh, in the old kingdom, um, what sort of time? How many years? How many thousands of years? Fifth king, fifth dynasty, dynasty in the uh, old kingdom. So, yeah, okay. twenty twenty three eighty BC um, is when they were serving. Eighty BC. That's a long time ago. Ancient. Five thousand years ago. In the name. Um, yeah. So they would have been held in quite like high status, right? Um, mm. As the chief manicurists to the pharaoh. So it's a pretty Gosh good damn. job. Yeah, there's quite an esteemed position in ancient Egypt, uh, as grooming mm. was regarded very highly indeed. Absolutely. Um, and known to be like quite laborious as well. So I mean, lots of like plaiting, beards. And... Wait, manicurist for the nails. So yeah, manicurists and hairdressers, makeup artists. They're often referred to as like any one of those kind of three things oh okay so they would do all of it yes yeah, so oh god yeah because like traditions, i don't know yeah they must spend so much time on the hair and makeup and just like those tight little kind of beard ponytail things and yeah what's going on with that i was wondering kind of about ceremonial, that yeah, aren't they something I think. about that like for, like it's always in like the 
like burial process. Yeah, thing. I always wondered if it was like an actual beard in there or if it was just like a little stick on. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, and like the eye makeup, you know, that's going to yeah, be like yeah. half a morning. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Real legwork. Anyway, um, so I don't know how much like in general you remember about ancient Egypt, um, but burial and the rituals around death were all very important, um, mm-hmm, hence mm-hmm. Mum- mummification. Yeah, um, massive pyramids. Yeah, yeah exactly. Big deal. Um, so yeah, the way you were buried and preserved was like particularly noteworthy. Um, yeah, I mean, mummification takes a lot of care and a lot of effort, um, so it's got to be, it's got to mean something. Um, so the remain, uh, remains of uh, Nankanam and Namhotep were discovered in the same uh, Mastaba tomb, mm-hmm. uh, little mud tomb. They're buried together. Uh, yeah, buried together, oh. um, along with several paintings of the men uh, embracing each other face to face, often depicted like nose to nose, which is like super close. Super that's tight. like, that's like basically kissing. Yeah, I mean, this is a pose that historians uh, would note would usually represent a kiss so Mm -hmm. you would usually like have a heterosexual relationship you know husband and wife uh painted nose to nose nose, yeah to kind of represent a kiss but it's interesting that neither of the men are painted embracing or kissing their wives or children for example who are also buried in the same tomb Mm. so they're only painted together hang on i didn't know they also had wives and and kids yeah so they had wives and kids um in the in the tomb yeah also with them but like in all the pictures they were also they're pictured together (laughs) it's like a family on the side of their gay relationship basically yeah yeah i think like they probably just had to marry right Probably. Like, so in, anyway, so in some cases, like, spoil sport scientists mm, uh, have, like, tried to claim that these two men were brothers. Uh, yeah. You know, those kind of remarkably close, <laughs> remarkably close nose-to-nose kind of brothers. Yes. Um, and in some instances, even uh, conjoined twins, which seems just really far-fetched. And there's, like, yeah. uh, far-fetched and there's, like, literally no, no evidence, evidence yeah. um, to support this, as there are no artefacts that depict the two men to have ever been conjoining. Like, they're always with their own bodies yeah. like separated yeah. bodies they just happen to be embracing um, yeah and if funeral art is anything to go by it's just not a fact yeah okay? absolutely so yeah, yeah, yeah. they were probably like you know lovers and or you know they were a couple they were embracing they were... seems like they were probably pretty out if they were yeah. also buried together yeah their wives were fine with it done by somebody else <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, and you know this is a real like yeah really high highly regarded uh, pair of yeah manicurists mm-hmm. of the pharaoh good, mm-hmm. good job um, so the historic findings of the tomb of Nankanam and Namhotep are said to be the earliest re- uh, record of a homosexual couple oh. like ever oldest gays in history represent uh, in history so yeah they should absolutely be a household name yeah um, I'm going to get a print of their kissing painting and yes. just hang it up in the house. So great. So there are also a number of uh, intersex people who were celebrated in ancient Egypt. Mm. Um, yeah, so even if um, historians treat the subject of Gwyneth as, as taboo, that might not be like an accurate accurate uh, reflection of how things actually were on the Nile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it could have been something that was just yeah, so celebrated. Just, or... just because we're Just because historians can often be prudish now and in the last mm. couple hundred years doesn't mean that 25,000 years ago they were prudish. Yeah. Because they had, like, a very rich culture and that had been already established for, like, thousands of years. So why would they necessarily have the same prudish attitudes as we do? Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's weird to assume that weird to assume that they would. And yeah, it's it's to assu- it know? is to assume that they're prim- primitive in some yeah, way. Yeah. That's what it is. It's almost being like, oh, they lived so long ago, so they wouldn't be nearly as open minded as us. And it's like, well, you don't know that. Yeah, yeah. They weren't primitive either. They built those fucking pyramids. Like, yeah. come yeah, on. There's huge like science comes from that. Um. So speaking of the Nile, mm-hmm. um, I found some great pictures of um Happy, um, who was the god of the Nile. Oh, um, Happy. Yeah. Um, who is depicted in hieroglyphics as an intersex person uh, with a ceremonial beard uh, mm-hmm. and breasts oh yeah 
Um, nice fair breasts uh, and a beard. Happy was sometimes um, referred to as male, but widely regarded as like a symbol of gender fluid fertility. Nice. Uh, due to having both uh, male and female reproductive power. Yeah. So like sweet. You wouldn't Powerhouse. Be, you wouldn't be a very good god of fertility if you were. If you're like, just one thing. If you were just one, yeah. yeah. So absolutely, gotta have it all. Uh, lots of research suggests that homosexuality just like wasn't really a, like a big deal um, in ancient Egypt. Uh, like basically, because like little importance was given to people's personal lives. It was much more yeah. about like the collective. Yeah, being yeah. being Egypt. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as long as you weren't like being like hideously adulterous, um, like lesbianism, homosexuality activity was like sort of just disregarded. Really, it wasn't yeah. like hugely shamed or like punished from mm. what we can see. Because slightly more like a don't. Know don't care yeah 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 definitely yeah also like yeah the modern western constraints of binary genders just weren't really a concern Mm. um it was quite common for divine figures to be portrayed as gender fluid um and also for uh, deceased women to Mm -hmm. uh to adopt elements of both uh, male and female uh, genders temporarily to be able to recreate uh, themselves in the afterlife so that was like seen as like oh that's what happens in the afterlife like you momentarily have both so you can procreate yourself and blah. Just like, oh my God. They came up with that idea and was like, cool. Because it wasn't. That, that solves it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it wouldn't be an issue because you can just have both. Yeah. So mm. intersex seems to be quite a yeah celebrated thing uh, between like, you know, the gods and, and, and the common. Because wasn't there a. Common folk. Was it Nefertiti or something? Who. There's a, there's a pharaoh that is suspected to have been intersex as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll let you carry on. So we've got uh, the first documented transgender figure in history. Uh, it's likely to have been um, Pharaoh Hast- uh, Hastepset, uh, who was recorded as a, a female Egyptian ruler, but is always painted um, in ancient art as wearing men's clothing and is often drawn with a male body. Mm. Um, so that's quite good. King uh, Nefekare, mm-hmm. is that maybe who you're thinking of? I don't know, maybe. Um, who was believed to have become uh, the notorious uh, Pharaoh Pepe II, Ooh. Pepe II, Pepe II. Um, which I'm going to call him Pepe Du. Was known to make secret visits uh, to Sassanet, well, who it just wasn't very secret. But who yes. just so <laughs> happened to be his favorite general. Oh goodness! Um, and the innu- innuendo amongst like scholars is that uh, within the ancient text, the king would simply uh, do uh, what his majesty desired. Gosh. Um, which was often interpreted as sex. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, if there's his Majesty saying, desires that general. Yeah. And so yeah. he will do what he desires. Yeah, like they're not very explicit, but like it means they were clearly fucking, right? Something like <laughs> they that. They were bonking. There was some kind of dicks out activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was a pharaoh. You know, he can do whatever he wants. Um, so also in the story of Pepe and the general, I'm just going to call it, yeah. Pepe. Pepe. Pepe and the general. After sneaking over uh, to the house of uh, Sassanet uh, for a cheeky nocturnal, nocturnal romp, uh, mm. the pharaoh is said to have thrown a brick... What? Call back. Uh, foresight. Yeah, we're always throwing bricks. <laughs> yeah, um, and f- thrown a brick and stamped his foot in order to obtain entry. I'm telling you, Hannah, like, throwing a brick is a pattern in queer history and, like, the internet loves it. You have to make it. a timeline of all yeah. the brick-throwing queers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's, like, loads of, like, Twitter threads and memes about um, someone threw the first brick at Stonewall. There's, yeah, go do, go do the love it, love do it. The research. Do you remember in 2014, there was, mm-hmm. like, this really homophobic uh, UKIP counsellor that publicly blamed the gays for causing floods? Yes. Um, yeah, like I the remember heavy that. Storms. And I was like, big claim. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he said that it was a direct correlation to the legislation of same sex marriage. Um, around that time because God's crying because God's and that's what the flood was the floods, yes uh, well I basically have the same kind of the ancient Egyptian equivalent in the form of Seth 
Mm. Um, and Seth, uh, the storm god, associated uh, with many natural disasters, but also whose like sexual activities um, were rumored to involve like many male deities. Ooh, so like, Seth. so Seth would be having like a nice little time uh, with all the male gods, and then also storms would be a plenty. So that plenty because yeah. it's rain and men. Whoa. Whoa, electric Whoa. energy, raining men. Come Absolutely. On, Another good figure uh, who holds ties to ancient Egypt as well as like uh, Greek and, and Roman cultures is uh, Antinous. Have you heard of Antinous? No. Uh, blessed and highly favoured young love interest and golden boy companion to the Roman emperor uh, Hadrian. Ooh. I'll get on to why this is connected to ancient Egypt in a sec. Uh, famously noted uh, in my uh, quiz and history book, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with the simple tagline "became a god." So pretty I good. Want someone to describe me pretty as good that achievement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty good achievement overall. Died and just became a god. Um, so I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." What did he do? Um, so Antinous was the extremely handsome, uh, mm-hmm. romantic companion to the emperor, uh, but tragically drowned in the Nile oh. uh, while out sailing with Hadrian, uh, and was later honoured uh, with godly status by this, uh, you know, grief-stricken emperor to uh, commemorate him. He also commissioned like over two thousand statues of his like beloved, beautiful toy boy um, in order to be like worshipped by the by the people. A uh, couple goals, I mm, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not, uh, not so much the drowning. Very, very element. sad grief, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like you know, good ex-boyfriend by declaring your as a god, yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a nice thing to do for him. I think it's yeah, it's it's fair. You yeah. Know? So the connection with um, Egypt is that uh, he's often paired with the um, likened to uh, the god um, Orisis, uh, who was uh, who was also uh, like resurrected, like not to like godly status, but like was resurrected by his uh, sort of sister sister wife. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Isis. Ooh, sister wife. Mm, yes. Oh, but yeah. they're, they're gods, right? So they're yeah. just there's all sorts of like sister wife. Husband, wife. There's a lot like in yeah. ancient Egypt. <laughs> There's like yeah. a lot of things going on with gender yeah. and relations. So that yeah, by his wife Isis, um, after he was chopped up into tiny pieces by his brother, oh no. um, poor Orisis, he was uh, like the first to be kind of associated with the afterlife and mummification, and mm-hmm, so naturally mm-hmm. became the lord of the dead. Yeah, um, spooky. Uh, and god of re- resurrection, god of resurrection into eternal life. So like his form transcends the physical body, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which depicts a certain kind of androgyny. You know, it's, that's a pretty queer narrative. Yeah. Um, and like him ultimately becoming like the symbol of fertility in ancient Egypt is a real like just two fingers up at his brother who attempted to essentially like castrate him and by chopping him up into little bits and murder uh, Arisis like only for him to be put back together and resurrected by Isis and it's just like cool good that's couple that's so good yeah they're good yeah. but I think like because there's been like loads of just money pumped into ancient Egypt Egyptology. and the like yeah Egyptology yeah, yeah. and the archaeological exploration of Egypt. Says there was gold to be found yeah so people were like oh I'm so interested <laughs> yeah in Egypt, I'm going to go Dig there and there. be interested and bring back the valuable, interesting things mm-hmm. that I find. Yeah. And just like, gold, gold, gold. Gold, do, gold, do, do, gold. Do, do, do. Robbing, robbing, robbing. Yeah. And like so much more like exploration, like compared to the rest of Africa. Yeah. Like so much into... So intense. Yeah. And I feel like they have to, they can't just steal it and be done with it. They have to, because they're like, we probably can't get away with saying that we did the pyramids, right? Probably can't take them. Mm. So they were just like, oh, we have to see it as like an archaeological... Yeah. So I think like, that's why like, a lot of super queer history can be attributed to this era just because we did like loads of research. Like yeah. everyone, so there's lots of knowledge cares. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the wider the net, obviously, the more queer shit you're gonna find. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's not to say that it's probably not similar stuff happening across the globe in other cultures, but yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was like the Egyptians were also well known for like really intensely documenting everything they did. Yeah. So they wrote it all down and they like carved it into walls and like things like that. So there's there's a lot of source material to go on as well that still exists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you're not sure. There's a picture. Like, they'll yeah. put pictures there like, to help you it out. It was me 
doing the activities that I do with my family. Here's a painting of me kissing my male husband because yeah. I am a homosexual man. Yeah. Here, just for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How clear can we make it? I'm going to be buried with my love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, um, I do. I want to talk a bit about uh, Cleopatra. Good. Uh, just because... Mega Great, babe. yeah, mega babe, mega babe. <laughs> Queen Cleopatra uh, ro- uh, ruled ancient Egypt for almost three decades. Gosh. Um, pretty good stint. Uh, usually, like, as a kind of co-pilot, first with her father and then with her, her brothers and then eventually uh, with her son. So the Egyptian throne was, like, passed to her when she was just 18 years old. Gosh. Already bossing it. Proper queen. So in Islamic culture, like, she's often, she's just always hailed for, like, her dominance and intelligence um, and for just generally being a good queen yeah i heard that she was a good ruler yeah Yeah. super good like well educated built loads of cool temples useful institutions yeah uh spoke many languages uh as many as 12 in some references gosh which is pretty good going yeah there's a there's a great article i read by um the queer classicist who which talks about like how islamic scholars uh, are generally just better at capturing um how cleopatra would have been seen by the people that you know at the time of whom she was ruling yeah um which was like a goddess cleopatra had like apparently like strongly self-identified with the goddess isis um, who mm. i mentioned earlier uh, the sister wife who yeah, put, yeah. Uh, or isis brought him back to life and put him back together and that's someone who cleopatra was like yep that's cool, me good i one. identify with that yeah power um, yeah and it's was, it was fairly common in ancient egypt to like associate um royalty with with deity um yeah because the 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 royalty were yeah. gods yeah, yeah that yeah. was essentially it is that they were not just divinely appointed, but that they themselves had a godly bloodline, yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's basically like just reinforcing like the status of kings and queens yeah. like, within society. Like, you know, respect and trust these people because they are gods. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so Cleopatra, I mean, she was just really powerful um, and like, a, you know, rightfully influential person. Um, incredibly charming, apparently. And uh, yeah, just absolutely iconic in so many ways. Um, but in like the framework of, of the West, um, historians and, and writers often paint Cleopatra as this kind of sex-crazed sultress more than anything. Like, that's really what they're going on. Yeah, and it's really shitty. Yeah. Because it's like she was so intelligent and powerful and like Did a lot together. of great shit. Yeah, built yeah. a load of stuff. Just because like she ha- she had an affair with like not an affair in the like uh, adulterous way, but she had a relationship with a guy, and everyone's like slut. Yeah, absolute slut. And it's like oh, so she's not allowed to have emotions or feelings or like yeah. desire. If, and if she didn't, they'd be like prude. Yeah, right? yeah. Whereas like yeah, a lot of um, Islamic like documentation is very much focused on like I don't know, not women as being like a second class kind of citizen. It's just like, hey, this person was a great queen, and here's all the cool shit she did. Yeah. Um, rather than being like, she had sex with this guy, oh. like, and you know, you know, Cleopatra was probably bisexual. Yes, but like yeah. in those days, like who wasn't? Um, well, so yeah, she... exactly. It's like in in Rome. I think I think. I actually don't know if I think it was in, around a similar time. It was considered unusual if the Caesar didn't take male lovers from time to time. Yeah, yeah. It was considered really weird if he, because there was one guy who one of the um, Caesars who would only have female lovers, and they were like, "What the fuck? This guy's yeah. totally fucking weird." <laughs> yeah, yeah, really insane. Yeah, I mean, like, so she was always draped in these kind of female like servants, companions. Um, you know, did a lot of ruling with other people. So there were probably lots of you know influential um people around her but yeah she did you know she did have some pretty steamy love affairs um and with some like influential gents at the time um but like but basically it's just a lot of gossip um and that seems to be more the western depictions of really 
gossip focused and like focused on her relationships and not mm. necessarily like the work that she she did like there's one story where she said to have invented like the first vibrator and she's like come on Oh my god, I think I heard that too. Someone told me that she put bees in a tube. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, no matter how good that tube is, I'm not putting a tube of bees near my vagina. Anywhere near me. But yeah, there's so there's such an obsession and a fascination with like with her, I th- and I think it's because of this idea of the, it's really gross. It's an idea of conquering a powerful woman and how much more exotic and different that would be. Mm. It's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it's you see that so often with women that are successful. Like even Marie Curie was rumored to have had an affair and it ruined her ruined her career. Absolutely ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Like the first thing that comes to your mind when you're t- when you're talking about like yeah Queen Cleopatra is like pretty sexy and like powerful and i was like that, we need to reframe that like that shouldn't be like the first thing that comes comes to your mind yeah because um, she was a very good ruler yeah i mean the, so this this article by the queer classicist like um compares cleopatra to um taylor swift in that nobody really gives a shit about like the, you know you might think of the music's like secondary but it's really yeah. like who is she dating who, yeah you know? exactly exactly and she's um what is it even the, like what does it even matter yeah you know why is that why are you even focusing on that yeah yeah um, there was like some, one story where she was claimed to like kill all her one night stands the morning after, like just all this bullshit. What? Like, anyway, there's loads of crap content out there, which is just like so focused on her sexuality and like her powers of seduction, like over and above all the other great attributes that historians should be focusing on. Damn. To be honest, yeah, it's just a really generic way to look at powerful women in history. I think, and not here for it. She is like often remembered in relation to like the men who, um, the men in her life, which is quite sad. There's, a, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more texts now which are celebrating all the other great stuff she's done. But like, it's just really unnecessary to, you know, I'm just swoopingly blaming the West as well. But um, that's, you know, that's where we, that's where we get it from. Yeah. So if you kind of, if you reframe Cleopatra um, using Islamic sources without the kind of westernized slut shaming, mm-hmm. sex focused examinations mm-hmm. of her life, like life and achievements is like far, far richer. Yeah. Um, and it portrays her as like this, the highly regarded monarch that she was, which is what yeah. you should be like. Hey, yeah. Cleopatra, monarch, spoke 12 languages. Great. Yeah. Uh, people are often fairly fixated on uh, Cleopatra's partnership with Mark Anthony, mm-hmm. um, who was battling around Rome, uh, being seduced uh, before being seduced by Cleopatra, apparently, uh, and vowing to protect Egypt and in turn her crown. Yeah, they kind of had this like on-off relationship for a, for a little while. Uh, spent a long winter drinking and shagging. Um, Good for them. Supposedly. And then in turn for her financial support towards like funding his army, Mark Antony helped her uh, rebuild the Egyptian empire, uh, agreeing to return to her Cyprus, uh, Libya, Crete, Jericho, as well as parts of like um, Lebanon and Syria. Wow. Um, but so some Islamic uh, historians describe Mark Antony uh, as her lieutenant. And that's it. Like, right. not like, hey, he, he took over the world and gave some back. Uh, it was more like, hey, she funded his army because he was her lieutenant. And so it's like not focused on the romance at all. That's, which yeah. is an interesting way to really, look at it. Yeah, yeah, I think that is interesting. And it's like that, it kind of frames it slightly more like that other Egyptian ruler who had his favourite general. Yeah. And it's like her favourite <laughs> lieutenant. Because she was, she was funding his army and, and like that kind of, he kind of was her lieutenant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This might be a bit uh, off topic, but have you heard of Cleopatra in Space? No, but it sounds so good. <laughs> what is that? It's, uh, it's a graphic novel and cartoon adventure series oh my God. Um, that follows Cleopatra as a high school teenager. No. Yeah, yeah. That uh, sounds so good. It's like recess, but ancient. Anyway, uh, so the high school they attend. The high school they attend is called um, P Y R A M I D. 
pyramid, pyramid. by the way. Oh my god. Uh, Cleo, um, Cleopatra Cleo, uh, is then uh, transported 30,000 years into her future to a new planet with Egyptian themes. Gosh. Uh, ruled by talking cats. Obviously, uh, yes. We do know about the Egyptians and their cats. Yeah, ruled by these talking cats, which is like lesbian trope if ever I heard one. Yeah. Where she becomes saviour of the galaxy. That is amazing. And that's just like one for the watch list. That's yeah. so good. And that's yeah, what I'm going to end on. Yeah. No, I love it. Sounds I great. absolutely love it. That sounds fantastic. So <laughs> I can't remember. Is it was the So there's the name of the Egyptian uh, pharaoh that I was thinking of mm. is called Akhenaten. Akhenaten. Did you say Akhenaten? No, I didn't. Okay, so he wasn't... It was he was a, f- a male pharaoh, but he's almost always depicted with like feminine hips and breasts, and so um, you know he's got wide, mm. wide hips and the little kind of paunch that people with uteruses have just below the belly button, and then like breasts that he crosses his arms over. And so there's a, um, a lot of stuff about him that about him being intersex, or some people say that he was um, just trans, assigned female at birth, mm-hmm. or just like yeah could be just a a, nice. a a female pharaoh that was just misgendered at some point and is sometimes is called a he yeah. now but yeah Akhenaten Akhenaten yeah introducing a revolutionary form of monotheism into ancient Egypt ooh mm. and like reigning in oh yeah he was, yeah, he was married to uh, Nefertiti okay so that's and Tutankhamun known as King Tuck <laughs> Tut may have been his son ah, or okay. brother. This is it. Like, there's so many interwoven like storylines because you know I wasn't around in ancient Egypt, so yeah. But also because like anyone. like most royal lineages, there's a lot of in marrying, yeah. marrying, marrying, <laughs> in marrying. <laughs> I sound like I've been in marrieded. Um, anyway, yeah. it's just a super queer place, it's and so, there's so many examples. Yeah, it sounds so because good. it wasn't necessarily like taboo or shamed or like yeah. And Egypt was around for tens of thousands of years. It was a huge dynasty, yeah. Yeah, it was an incredibly long dynasty. And just, obviously, it's going to be incredibly varied yeah. and incredibly rich and like we we also know it's a very rich culture but you're right like the fact that there isn't actually that much said about homosexuality or like intersex or trans people kind of suggests that it wasn't really a thing as yeah. in like it wasn't really a topic of conversation because we know that people yeah. were queer trans and intersex yeah. and like at the time because people have always been that so yeah, yeah. that's really cool thank like, you for the education the, yeah happy the god of the Nile was just the god of the Nile like and also just happy. happy. Anyway, yeah, there's so much more to say, but like, yeah, go have a little, go have a read of ancient Egypt, uh, ancient Egyptian queers, and look out for Namkhetam and Namhetep. Yeah, um, and the two manicurists, yeah. stylists of the yeah. Egyptian kings. Uh, thank you, Daisy. That was really, really great. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Great. Where can uh, where can they find us? Uh, they can find us at uh, Radio Zaddy X A D D Y on Instagram and Twitter and we have a, a web page on WordPress which you can get to via the Anchor site so if you just search Radio Zaddy Anchor We're it'll there. come up with links to anywhere good podcasts are sold you can find us on whatever system that you like yeah thank you very much for listening thank you bye goodbye